It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 56 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia, coming to you from New Jersey and New York, respectively. Nikolai, a pretty fucking solid UFC 249 from this past weekend. A lot to talk about. And we're going to preview the kind of more recognizable names, the, the, the bigger fights on the next two cards. One coming up, a UFC fight night this Wednesday, and then another one over the weekend. Nick, good to hear your voice, buddy. Uh, Stan, I was expecting something a little more regal, a little more flamboyant for my introduction, seeing as such this past weekend our draft competition resulted in and new oh, the weight of this crown, the championship belt around my waist. I had them adjust it so it'll fit, which was helpful. Um, they took it out a little bit, but man, it's, it's good. I, I don't know what it was like when, when you were winning, but I, my phone's ringing off the hook, all the sponsors wanting to talk to me. I got to make sure <laughs> that my head doesn't get too big, that I focus on training and that I follow up with another victory this week. But man, it felt amazing out picking you. Nick, I'll bet it did. And I'll be, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. The reason I know that is because I've outpicked you seven times this season and you've outpicked me twice now. Why you got to be bringing up the past, man? I look forward. I went and I trained in Dagestan. I went and I did my, I did all my picks in the mountains and I got, I found a new, I found a new focus, switched things up a little bit. I got my, I got my diet under control. It was just like, everything just fell into place, man. And I think, I thank my Lord, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure uh, I'm glad you put Jesus into this, but you know, Nick, I'm sure the focus level was on a different league, but the Wi-Fi connection to watch any tape, that must have been a little bit hard in the mountains of Dagestan. Yeah, but I learned that if you just focus enough, it just goes right into your head. I was I've reached a no- new elevation. You just have a direct line to UFC Fight Pass and you can just absorb the fights over the Dagestani mountains. Well, I I was also I was mind skyping with Diego Sanchez, and he taught me how to do that. So you were mind skyping with Diego Sanchez in the home of Khabib Nurmagomedov. Well, yeah. Watching UFC Fight Pass somehow. Fascinating, Nick. Goddamn fascinating. And you know what? It worked out for you, buddy. It took a tiebreaker for you to get the win because otherwise you and I both did pretty well in this event. Both uh, picking, I believe, four correctly and uh, one wrong. Oh, did we, con- did we confirm that? Was, it, was, water- was Waterson your final pick? Yeah, Watterson was my final pick because Jacare Souza had to be pulled out from the event because he was actually positive for the COVID. Um, His opponent, obviously, Uri Hall, wasn't going to compete either. So Nick's pick, I think it was your third or fourth pick of Jacare Souza, that kind of made it an uneven number of picks for each of us. So my last pick, which was uh, Watterson and that Watterson or Sparza matchup, that became a tiebreaker. So if Nick and I were to tie uh, in our first five picks, then that would come in handy. And I lost my tiebreaker pick. Nikolai picks up a victory because of it. Congratulations, buddy. You needed this. Uh, uh, let's not talk again. We don't need to talk about what I needed or the past. We can just enjoy what's <laughs> happening right now. And the, the you know, like you said, we were both four and one. And, um, yeah, I will say that my my loss was a little more was a louder loss than yours was after I picked Rosenstrike for oh, the man, upset. Yeah. 
But um, you know, we can get it. We can get into it. But Ver- Verdum by the third round looked pretty good. But boy, he looked like somebody who was missing PEDs in round one. But uh, what else, what do you want to talk about first for, from that card before we get into this mega this mega two card? Yeah, we have to dive in into the Justin Gaethje Tony Ferguson fight, which was quite honestly pretty one sided. I think much much more so than anyone imagined it could be. Justin Gaethje had Tony's timing and number. He had the speed on him. He had the power advantage on him. The entire fight stayed standing to both these gentlemen credits. Uh, although Tony Ferguson did try for an Imanari role in the fifth round, I believe, after Eddie Bravo kept calling for it. Eddie Bravo really come in and clutch with that excellent MMA uh, championship rounds advice. Yeah, look, <laughs> Gaethje <laughs> had... I mean, every advantage, there was nothing that Tony really could do, although Tony did land a beautiful right uppercut at the end of that second round, which put Gaethje on his knee for a second before he just kind of came right back to. It was more of a flash knockdown than anything else. But man, Gaethje was landing serious power on Tony. Tony, who's been rocked several times against not as heavy a hitters as Gaethje, he didn't really go down at any point. The stoppage, in my opinion, is questionable. I'm not I'm not a fan of that kind of situation where the guys have uh, about a minute and a half to fight, a minute and 21 seconds left, and you're going to take that away from the guy because he got hit, stumbled, and then kind of shook the blood off of his face. I think that there was a big difference between like I'm out of it, I'm shaking my head like don't don't hurt me that Michael Chandler did against Will Brooks back in Bellator, and and in this case where Tony got hit, he stumbled, he was not doing great, right? His legs were battered. Uh, his chin had been battered, his temple, he's taken a lot of shots to the head. So it wasn't the kind of head shake where he was like, I have no idea where I am, what's happening. It was the kind of head shake where he's literally trying to like come back to or or get the blood off his face. And Herbie came in and stopped the main event fight with, again, 80 seconds to go. See, funny, um, I mean, listen, you're the fighter, so I, I tend to defer to you here. But I, I actually thought they could have stopped it sooner. And there were a few moments midway through that fifth round where I was like, oh, man, Dean should step in. I just felt I was like, Tony's had enough. He's getting hit with thudding shots. He doesn't have anything on his shots. And this isn't going to go. I just didn't see it going any diff, any differently. And nobody nobody wants to see one of the greatest uh, fighters of all, of all time um, get, per, you know, take a big permanent step back or get seriously, seriously hurt. Because Gagey was still throwing just missiles uh, in the fifth round. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that Gagey was throwing missiles. And look, you do make a good point. If you count up all of the damage that Tony Ferguson had taken leading up to that moment, there is a fair argument to be made to stop the fight. Maybe that's not something that I factored in or really kind of focused on as the fight was being stopped. I was more focused on what happened immediately leading up to that stoppage. And it did seem like it was that weird moment where... Gaethje, I think, landed a jab, and it did seem in that third round like Tony was actually really getting affected by Gaethje's punches, even his jabs. So at that point, he had been concussed to the point where every shot actually kind of gave a, gave a buzz to his brain, and, and he was showing it a bit. And then once he shook his head, yeah. maybe it is fair. Uh, well, honestly, you do make keep it in mind, he didn't, just, he didn't just shake his head. He disengaged. He went. He went. Oh, he moved away from where the fight was happening. The same way that guys do after a grind stroke or an eye poke. I mean, he disengaged and went up around the cage and was figuring something out. I didn't know if it was equilibrium, if it was the blood in his eyes or whatever. But 
it's it's a pretty bad sign when you essentially disengage from a fight when the referee has not when there's no foul. I don't know about disengaged. What was it about that that made you feel like he was disengaging? He st- he he moved back towards he moved away from him towards the fence. I feel like he he was facing him, right? Like to create a little bit of distance between you and your opponent. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I didn't think it, I thought he went back. I thought I didn't think that's what he did. I thought he went back. He went back towards the cage. I do hear the argument that he's taken a lot of damage over the course of that fight. I just feel like if you're going to wait till that moment with a minute and 20 seconds as Ferguson takes a jab, like that's not necessarily the best moment to stop it. Uh, maybe a few seconds earlier, a few seconds later would have made more sense. I don't know. I just feel like it's a weird moment to do it. Um, what was your overall opinion of Gaethje's performance and how he really stepped up in this one? I mean, t- I think Tony did a little bit better in the first round than I thought he would. I thought uh, Gaethje would be um, considerably more aggressive. I think he won the first, but uh, I thought Tony did really well. I didn't think it was a. Uh, I didn't think it was a. Would characterize Tony's first round as a slow start, but Gaethje's Gaethje's pacing and his t- his timing and precision uh, were spot on. His footwork was good. And he didn't his and his composure was was fantastic. So I don't you know it. Tony wasn't able to do a lot off of those shots because they were so heavy. Um, and he also he stayed out of any of those like wacky and wild scrambles. Tony didn't really try to create any. Um, but those those moments, those tweener moments, where Tony Ferguson so good at creating violence um, didn't you know, didn't show up and he couldn't pressure and, and, uh, and move forward and land, you know, many combos without eating at least one heavy, heavy shot. So, I mean, Gagey, great composure, great stamina, uh, and, you know, precision matched with power. And I don't know how, how Ferguson was still, was still standing. I think, um, that was, it was a big uppercut, uh, he caught him with. I mean, Gagey gets hurt in just about every fight, and no matter who he's fighting, and that one buzzed him. You know, buzzed him really well. We're not used to seeing Ferguson drop guys with one shot like that. Uh, and Gagey does have a pretty good chin. It makes me wonder what happens if and when Gagey and, and McGregor, who are already, you know, had a lot of nasty exchange at a nasty exchange today, or at least Connor wrote something nasty replying to something that that Gagey had said a while back. Um, but. You know he fought a he fought a perfect fight, and he did not he did not let uh, the boogeyman intimidate him. Yeah, he definitely didn't let him intimidate him, and I think we've seen a real big shift in Justin Gaethje's style over the course of the last couple of years. Up until recently, he was known as a guy that would just push forward with purely offensive pressure, little mind to defense. Right, Justin Gaethje proudly said several times leading up to this fight that he actually has taken more shots than anybody else in the UFC per minute, and he's doled out more shots than anybody in the UFC. Right, He was really proud of that distinction. But that's not the Gaethje that we've seen in his last two fights. That's not the Gaethje that fought Cerrone. In fact, he knocked Cerrone out with a counter right hand after slipping Cerrone's offense. And he was doing the same thing with Tony Ferguson in this matchup. He was slipping and ducking under Ferguson's offense, and he had planned counters. And what was beautiful is the reason he was able to continually land his leg kicks on Ferguson. And at this point, I think you've got to consider Justin Gaethje to be one of the best leg kickers in the history of the sport. I think there's real truth to it, just with how effective he is. And he does something that really nobody else I remember in the current or 
prior UFC kind of eras does. He slips and ducks as he lands his kick. So literally as you're throwing offense at him, he's avoiding your offense by moving his head off the center line and landing a kick on the leg that's carrying all of your body weight at the same time. It's brilliant. I think that was a factor in how kind of wobbly Tony was throughout the fight where, you know, he may have been wobbled a bit, right? But Tony's the type to come right back too. But he was kind of dancing a little bit more because of the damage to the legs at the latter point than it was just a head trauma. But man, did Gaethje dole out a whole lot of punishment. I thought round one on, it was absolutely one-sided. The only real moment that Tony had was that clean right uppercut that he landed while Gaethje threw his own at the end of that second round. I thought it was very clear that Gaethje outstruck him in the first round. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was clear, but it wasn't like it wasn't a survive the storm round, which is what a lot of people had anticipated. I agree. That's a fair point. Again, that's to Gaethje's credit. I think if the old version of Gaethje had come in, it probably would have been a survive the storm round, and also Gaethje would have lost in the third or fourth round of this fight because he just throws everything out there. This time he was throwing with power, but it was on the counter. So there was a lot of moments where he wasn't pushing forward and throwing. It was interesting because he lo- he yeah. Uh, he lost his composure a little bit. Like he, he definitely winged some haymakers that were. I'm sure it took a good amount of energy out of him. He tried to catch himself. His corner coached against that. Um, I believe after the third round, they said, you know, stop trying to kill him with everything. It might have been after the. It second. It was after the second, and again after the third, and he didn't really listen, man. He 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 was asking. Um, Trevor Whitman was asking Justin to just touch him at points, not to always throw full power. It's incredible to me that Gaethje never really laid off his power and his gas tank never faltered. The difference is that Tony was taking a tremendous amount of damage. Tony was also known for his gas tank. But it's amazing what uh, Justin was able to do in a five or six week training camp up there at Elevation in Denver, Colorado with Trevor Whitman and the crew. Unbelievable performance. I'm not sure I'm not sure that I would pick. I mean, you know, I'm the biggest Khabib Nurmagomedov fan in the world. That's a tough fight to call. Very, very tough fight to call. I actually think that um, I think Gagey is a tougher out for Khabib than he is for Connor. I agree. I th- I agree with you. I still think Connor, you know, has some of the tools to beat Khabib. He just his weaknesses would make it so difficult too. Um, that's the thing is that Gagey is not gonna get exhausted in that third round, is what we saw in this one, right? And Khabib would need to dole out some heavy wearing damage on Gaethje if he's able to get top position for the first couple of rounds of their fight. Because again, the reason that Tony was tired and Gaethje wasn't is because both were expending a lot of energy, but Tony was taking serious punishment, whereas Gaethje really wasn't. Even when he was taking shots, they were a fraction of the power that he was throwing. That's the thing. Tony, I believe Tony outstruck him through the through the fourth just on terms of numbers but obviously in terms of impact you know it's similar to watching the way that although this fight went the other way watching Hendricks punch GSP versus GSP punch Hendricks however many years ago that was yeah yeah I think that's pretty fair let me see I'm actually looking at the round by round it looks like Ferguson outlanded him in rounds one three and four he was outlanded in rounds two and five, and round two he got a knockdown. So if we were just looking at those stats, there's an argument to be made for Tony. But watching that fight, there's no way. Yeah, he would no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not winning. I mean, maybe you give him the second for the knockdown. Right. That's. I mean, otherwise, very clear that Justin Gagey was was winning that fight. Um, I absolutely agree. Let's move. Let's 
let's talk about the the rest of the card real quick before we get into this massive double. Uh, the co-main event, uh, the King of Cringe, Triple C, took out another C, Dominic Cruz, pretty easily, to be honest. I don't really... The stoppage it wasn't great, but the knee was beautiful, and it left him cross-eyed with a goofy look on his face. Um, I thought Cejudo looked fast and like he could almost do anything that he wanted to uh in there i thought he looked it was basically what i expected yeah so was generally patient as cruz did his kind of footwork thing he didn't fall into the trick of kind of chasing cruz and giving him the opportunity for effective counters he waited for his moments exploded with very fast leg kicks and you and i both spoke about how speed would be a real factor in this matchup and a lot of uh really good um, MMA analysts were picking Dominic Cruz here and I mean as much as I could see this argument being made a couple of years ago I just didn't really see it I saw Cejudo's speed as being such a huge factor and that was one factor another factor is that Cejudo like in the last matchup with Gaethje and Ferguson Cejudo has more power than Cruz Cruz could hit Cejudo 35 times and Cejudo could hit him 9 or 10 and they're probably about even if Cejudo doesn't even get a little bit more of an edge in the damage that he doles out there but yeah, he outstruck him in the first. It wasn't by a large margin, but he clearly had the edge in the first. And in the second round, I thought that until Henry hurt him with the knee, Dominic was actually having some good moments. And uh, really, the argument could be made easily that the second round was going his way until he got wo- uh, wobbled badly and kind of planted on his ass. Dominic Cruz does this weird uh, head movement thing, and I spoke about how a lot of his movements are predictable as long as you've really watched tape and studied him. Right. He does the exact same head evasions in the exact same order from left to right to uh, rolling under. He does the exact same offense when he waits forward with his weird kind of footwork. And I'm sure Cejudo and his coaches saw that, and I'm sure they saw the opportunity for when Cruz ducks under that left hook, he's going to be available for that knee. In fact, he's going to be running right into it. That's what allowed Cejudo to hurt Cruz badly in the end of the second round. And then, in my opinion, I have no problem with the stoppage man. He jumped right on him and landed over a dozen punches, I believe. I think they said 11 on the broadcast. It seemed like more to me, uh, unanswered. And Cruz was just kind of bouncing around for a bit. And then, you know, just as the referee was coming in to stop it, Cruz grabbed onto the fence to kind of start getting up. But he wasn't, probably wasn't getting up. And if he was, it's because the follow-up punches of Henry Cejudo woke him from his slumber. He was hurt badly. The weirdest thing, though, Nick, Henry Cejudo goes ahead and announces his retirement from the sport of mixed martial arts. What in the world? Yeah. Well, apparently he's that's something he's been saying to Dana for months. And I don't know how much it's because he's got, you know, he's got a girlfriend or, now or whatever, but he um I you know, I think that he he has shown since he won the fight from Johnson that on social media with the other media, he's put as I mentioned last week, he's put the lower weight classes on the pop culture uh, radar in a way that they were not during the Demetrius Johnson era. Maybe Dillashaw Garbrandt got a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of exposure, but not since those very, very early days where, you know, the good-looking articulate Uriah Faber got the WEC on the map pre-Aldo. Has there been anyone this size making this much noise? And I think he, you know, he wants to be paid accordingly. I don't, who knows what his what his deal is, but in his point of view, he's accomplished what he wants to, and it's not enough uh, for the lifestyle. So, you know, more more power, more power to him. Let him go, 
let him go do something else. Maybe, you know, maybe he gets back. Honestly, I think the UFC needs him more than he needs the UFC because without him, um, 125 is a shit show and not particularly interesting. And in 135, you've got Cody Garbrandt, who's done very little but get his butt kicked for the last three years, and Dillashaw on a drug suspension. Cruz and Faber are old. Aldo and Edgar are old. You got the Sanhagans of the world who are, you know, kind of on the way up, but there's no brand name recognition there. So, you know, I don't, I'm not interested in lower weight classes where we're going to see Corey Sanhagans and the Peter Yans like beating the crap out of the, the Fabers and Edgars and Aldos of the world um, on their way up. It's just, uh, it's too bad. I really feel like Cejudo was, has been the linchpin over the last 18 months to two years for those two divisions. Um, I do agree with you. I, I still just like with the Paul Felder retirement a couple of months ago. I don't buy that this is going to be long term. I'm not sure what else he's going to do that's going to bring him the attention, the recognition that's going to quench his uh, need to compete, his need to win. He's a special kind of person that's been competing since he was a little kid. Now, I understand that that may mean that he's tired of it, but I also think uh, after he's off a little bit, I think he's going to realize, man, like I need this back. Um, I mean. That's possible, but then he's going to leave the straps. It's not like, um, wait, who did he just refer to that that walked away? Oh, uh, Paul Felder. Right. It's felt. You know, Felder. Like Felder says, he's going to leave. He comes back. No harm, no foul. This is a guy who still has straps in two weight classes. Remember, the he lost. He was going to vacate one twenty five, but it's still technically back with him, I believe, until uh, you know, until someone else like shows up. Um, or if they run, or they run back, uh, Benavides and Figueroa. Yeah, I, I think they. Yeah. I think they actually officially stripped him. Although, in my opinion, there's no new champ. I don't see why he needs to be stripped. And he made a good point after the fight. He said that he's the only one to actually defend titles in two divisions. I'm not sure if Randy Couture was able to uh, successfully do that. Connor never tried to defend any of the titles that he had won, and. Who else do we have that's won two championships? Daniel Cormier has not successfully defended the heavyweight title. So he would be the first man to win, I believe, uh, to win titles in two divisions in the UFC and defend each one. So pretty goddamn impressive. And again, uh, Cormier Cormier did that. Who did he defend the heavyweight championship against? Um, The Black Beast. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. That's... That's a bit of a giveaway, but okay. Just comparing, like he, who, the, who, Black Beast and and, and Volkan Olsmir, yeah, Olsmir were both defenses. No, Olsmir was at two hundred five. Black Beast was at heavyweight. To your point, right, right. I'm saying though, so that's a def- that's a defense in each yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. I mean, he had a few defenses at light heavyweight, but you're right, man. To compare the Black Beast to some of the people that Marlon that Henry Cejudo has been able to dispose of in the recent past is yes. fucking weird, man. Like I said, I I believe I announced him as the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in MMA a couple of fights ago. I believe it was after he beat TJ Dillashaw since he beat the 125-pound and 135-pound champs in a row. But now he's added to that record all the more, beating Marlon Marais, beating now Dominic Cruz. I mean, he, in my opinion, is the best pound-for-pounder fighter in MMA. I'm open to arguments. Otherwise, obviously, I'm not saying he's far and ahead the best. I think Khabib has a really good argument for it as far as active fighters go. But... It would be a shame to see him retire at, what, 33 years old? He's 
by MMA standards, he's he's a young man, and he would be yeah, one we'll of the see. only two guys to retire at the top for the record, like George St. Pierre did. So that would be something special. I just I do not buy it. I think he'll be back within a year and a half. I think Ran. I think I think Randy also one of his walkaways was while he was champ, but um, yeah, but the, you not if it's not if it's not your final one. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really count if you're gonna right. if you're gonna oh right right right, have right, right. A if you come back later yeah the UFC after you win the title and they strip you it's a different that's kind of a different situation yeah that also happened to Jen that was Jen's Pulver too I think yeah I think um, I think you might be right um so yeah a, a really solid overall card let's quickly do a quick mention to some of these other fights that deserve it Francis Ngannou pushed forward with six seven big bombs on Jarzinho. <laughs> Nick, what's funny is like I know in the record books it'll always go down as a twenty second knockout, but for the record they were standing in front of each other, nothing was happening. Francis just exploded forward, and Jarzinho stepped back and countered three of Nganu's shots. And Nganu, I think the first punch that he landed, the first strike that he landed in the fight was that knockout left hook. That was the fourth shot that he threw. Even though he got countered on the first two, Jarzinho was the more technical man standing up. And if you just see a picture of uh Francis Ngannou throwing at Jarzinho while Jarzinho's kind of defending. It looks like Francis is an amateur and Jarzinho's a veteran. But man, that power. For the record, Francis is better than that on the counter than he showed just with the offense in that moment. But for goodness sake, all he needed to do was land one shot. And that seems to be the premise with him at all times. Francis Ngannou knocked out Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Yeah, that was, as Joe Rogan might say, that was some spooky shit. Like he just, he melted him and then he went in there planted his feet in left, right, left, right hooks um, while he was sleeping before the referee got over there. I was very concerned uh, that Rosenstrike was uh, going to be, was going to be knocked back to Suriname. He got bombed. And, you know, I liked his kicking game in those first few seconds. I think he was planning on staying on the outside. Um, But, yeah, he should not have gone right straight back. I know you said he was countering. I feel like he sh- he should have been, you know, moving like moving off to the sides and back and flying around that cage. He was going to have to be a kickboxer, point fighting on his bike um, for 15 minutes, which you know maybe he has the ability to do, but or maybe not. Maybe it's just that a guy that big's going to run at you, and eventually, even if he catches you. You know, with 20% of what he's got, you're going to sleep. Yeah, Francis has just got an unordinary and human level. Terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah, Cormier, Cormier's like, I'm afraid of no man, but I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure he's, not, you know, he's not going to, if he, if Cormier beats Stipe, he's not going to call Absolutely him. Absolutely. <laughs> will never fight Francis Ngano. I don't blame him. If he was 29 years old, he would have fought Francis and he maybe would have beat him. But at this age, at this point in his career, he's never, he's not fighting Francis. He has nothing to gain there. And I don't blame him. He shouldn't fucking fight that guy at all uh he fought the francis ganu with less power and more holes in his game and michael johnson uh, and um anthony johnson a couple of times down at light heavyweight and that didn't go well for johnson so uh calvin cater or jeremy stevens a second round Oof. nasty elbow knockout this is guy is known as a boxer and he out mma jeremy stevens looked really freaking good out there man not a good night for alliance yeah, MMA. stevens uh no, Stevens had a really uh, Stevens had a good he had a good first round. I thought Stevens looked good in the first. I thought he looked better than in his last couple fights where he dropped the first couple rounds and then win the third. Um, you know, Stevens had a better first round than I anticipated. But man, uh, Calvin Cater, as he finds his rhythm, has got great timing, nasty power, 
and he uses his opponent's moment, even the littlest movements and momentum against them uh, to create more power in his shots. He's, you know, he's a force. He's got some sick, sick hands uh, for that weight class. Who, who do you want to see him fight next? Uh, Calvin Cater. That's a good question. I would not mind Brian Ortega. I'm not sure if he's officially locked up with someone else. Uh, this could be a good, I mean, Josh Emmett would be like a, a, bit below him at this point since he just beat number Agreed. seven jeremy stevens so yeah i think it's guys like chan sung jung i don't know if he has anyone scheduled brian ortega max holloway i think that would be a great fight if holloway is not fighting volkanovsky immediately and i hope he's not for holloway's sake just because i think it might do irreparable damage to his confidence and to his career if he loses these two fights in a row and then he has to move up to 155 where he already lost a fight recently uh, i know i'm veering off course here but yeah um a couple like it's top six top seven fighters at this point he just beat number seven so nobody below frankie edgar in my opinion uh, i want to see yeah i don't want to i don't want to see edgar fight this guy i think that's a fight for zombie that's a great match yeah i would go I would nuts love, for that bout I would love that. that's a that's a that's a that's a co-main event on a pay-per-view or a, a headliner on a ESPN Plus card. 100% agreed. Or even an ESPN. Even in, it's a great fight for an ESPN card. Agreed uh, for the main card or something like that. Uh, Greg Hardy got a decision win over Jorgen De Castro. I think a lot of folks expected that Jorgen had a shot at landing a big one, and he looked good in the first round, but then he just kind of tapered off, and that was my concern. Well, with he him. broke his foot. I could tell. I could tell right after that foot was checked. His his toe on his, I believe, his right foot um, was it was popping up compared to his other toe at about a 45 degree angle. Yeah. And I texted my friend right away and I was like, he broke, he broke his foot and or he broke his toe and I didn't expect it to impact his hands that much, but he, he must not have been able to push off at all. Like, cause he had very, very crisp striking and like, let's face it. Hardy is a very, as Rogan always tells us extremely, extremely athletic guy. Yep. He's just a big hulking dude. His back's in two different zip codes. He's massive. He um, I don't know how he gets down to 265, but he didn't get too tired, and he looks, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't look bad. He doesn't look like a guy who doesn't belong in there. Um, but I thought that had he not had De Castro not broken his toe, had Hardy not heard Daniel Cormier coaching, maybe you know maybe it's a little bit different because De Castro's kicks are fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, that's something actually that maybe we should spend a few seconds on. It was kind of weird because the arena was empty. I actually said this to my wife as we were watching that in all likelihood the fighters could hear the criticisms and the recommendations of the uh, analysts, uh, Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and John Anik, and that's how it turned out. And then on several occasions, the fighter did something that they recommended, and then the guys actually uh, confirmed that they probably could hear each other. John Anik mentioned at one point that he took his headphones off and he was able to hear the other two uh, in the actual arena because there were so few people yelling things out in there. Basically, them the them and the coaches, right? It was just those analysts and the coaches. So weird kind of situation there. They might have to figure something out for that. But yeah, man, uh, Greg Hardy. Look, um, anyway, you put it. Jorgen's gas tank didn't quite look the same in that second and third round because he exploded quite a bit in the first round. Uh, that's one of the concerns that I had about him going into this matchup, knowing that Hardy had been uh, 
25 minutes once. Am I wrong? Uh, and that, No, it, it was a 15-minute fight. He had been uh, the full three rounds several times in his career, and he looked okay enough in the third rounds. Uh, at the very least, he can stay up and defend himself. But Jorgen did get tired. He hurt his foot, uh, similar to Greg Hardy with his hand in his last fight. But I, I think it was a learning experience for Jorgen, and I hope he comes back better. Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone, an exciting back-and-forth fight. Uh, could have really gone either way. A lot of folks uh, had it in favor of Cerrone, but Anthony Pettis walks away with the unanimous decision. I think for these two, it would be best case for them to continue to fight the veterans. Let's not throw them in the deep end of the pool anytime soon. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I agree with that. I I would have been, after what happened with um, McGregor, I was kind of rooting for a moral victory for Cerrone, and I thought that he did enough. I thought that I had Cerrone winning the fight. I think one of the judges had it 30-27 for Pettis. I definitely don't see that. Uh, but you know, it is what it is, but they had, you know, it was a senior, it was a senior circuit rematch and, um, you know, good fight, good fight between those guys. It just blew my mind. And I texted my same buddy that I remembered watching the, uh, the Showtime kick card. And I believe Donald Cerrone was in the co-main event on that card, possibly in a rematch against Varner or maybe against someone else. I'll need to look it up, but you know, that's like, we're talking 11 years. Yeah. That was like 11, 11 years ago. Um, and that's just a little bit before those guys hit their prime, I would say. But yeah, that was—I mean—that was ages ago. They've—they've they've had quite a career. They've entertained us for a long time, including a UFC 249. So, big props to those guys. Uh, Alexei Olenek uh, earned a fucking workers' decision over Fabricio Verdum. He came in 20 pounds lighter. He came in chiseled. The man's 42. Right, and he came in and against the guy that came back uh, from a two-year suspension for steroids, who now looked a little bit pudgier and what is in his late 30s as well. And Fabricio Verdum, and man, Olianik really put it on him. He was the stronger, more explosive guy, and certainly on the ground he could defend himself at the very least. Right, worst case they were even on the ground, and damn, Alexi looked pretty darn solid uh, for the majority of this fight. He did. Verdum seemed to, he didn't get too tired. He looked good in the third, but man, he can't. He just he came in looking like Mike Russo, that guy, that guy, that cop that like knocked out um, Todd Duffy. Todd Duffy that time, yep. and won a couple of other fights, I think too. Yeah, but he did well, yeah, he I mean, Verdum, we've seen him chubby before, but this like he, yeah, he did not look like the Verdum that was knocking guys out with strikes. What we expected that, or what I at least had mentioned last week was I saw Verdum potentially winning this fight up against the cage um, with flur- with flurries of strikes. Uh, he did not seem to have the cardio or the body for that. In fact, it was Eleniak who was the one uh, pushing the striking pace and overwhelming Verdum with strikes. I think that really just comes down to fitness, PEDs, and the cliched ring rust. Combined with the fact that Eleniak was really, really tired um, in his last fight where he acquitted himself quite well, um, and fought through it. Super tough guy, but he came into this into this fight in obviously incredible shape. Agreed. We have Carlos Barzo earning a very close this split decision Oof. victory over Michelle Waterson that could have gone either way. What a what a nightmare fight this was. I've never only boring Michelle Waterson fight I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's generally rare. I agree. Um, it was a split decision. One more of the journalist judges on MMA decisions gave the edge to Michelle Waterson, but this is the fight that decided which one of us picks up the win this week. Uh, you know, not something to write home petty, about. Petty, petty, and new. <laughs> um, and we also have Vincente Luque, who like beat up Nico Price to the point where Nico had Oof. some damage on his face. The fight was close. It was exciting as expected, but the right man won, and Vincente Luque, look, 
getting beat up by Steven Thompson alone. Jorge Masvidal got beat up by Steven Thompson. It doesn't mean you're a shitty fighter. Vincente Luque is still somebody we can look forward to watching. For a guy with an 18-7 and seven record, he's got a really successful UFC career. Yeah, he looks great. He still feels a little small for for uh, that division. 170, really? I think he, well, maybe he's just short. He just he looks he looks small to me compared to Price. I mean, he is three is or four he? inches taller than he, oh five ten according to uh, topology at least. He's five five ten is pretty short for one seventy. You think so? All right, so yeah, I mean, maybe nowadays, maybe you're right. Um, if you look in the if you look in the weight class of other welterweights, I mean, yeah, no, I, even I, do, so, I mean, I, Cero- I mean, there's a lot of lightweights that are six feet. True, there there's some long, lanky guys in the lower divisions, but he's kind of medium, where he's medium density and medium height. Uh, I would say for the division, but I, I do hear you in this day and age. If you're not 5'11", you're on the short side at welterweight. Bryce Mitchell dominated the black belt. Charles Rosa attempted several twisters. I recommended a big bet on him, and it paid off. Uh, actually did really well in the betting this week, Nick. Really excited to see Bryce come through and, and uh, give the journeyman Charles Rosa all that he can handle. Uh, Charles did survive, though, to his credit, but Bryce Mitchell now climbed to 13-0, and looking like a serious prospect in the... Uh, I believe it's 145-pound division. Nikolai, Ryan Spann, and Sam Alvey, it turned out to be fairly competitive. A lot of folks thought it's Closer, that, closer than I thought. I mean, very close. Are you kidding? He was your first pick. Like, we, he was a huge favorite. People yeah. expected him to bulldoze him. And instead, it was an extremely, extremely close fight. And I'm looking at the MMA decisions uh, right now, and it looked like the great majority of the journalists uh, on that website gave it to Span. Gave it to yeah. Span. Yeah, only three. But they all, everyone gave the everybody gave the uh, the third round to Alvi though. Yeah, no, I hear that, and, and that's fair. But but man, a fight takes place in, in all three rounds, not just that third. Uh, that one was kind of odd, but good for Alvi, man. He could still pull off a win in this situation. I mean. 33 and 14. The man has a lot of experience, and he was able to out hustle, uh, at least according to the judges, the younger Ryan Spann, who was streaking up until this one. Nikolai, let's take a break. Let's come back and discuss the next two cards we have this Wednesday the UFC Fight Night Jacksonville. And then the week after that, we have UFC on ESPN, also from Jacksonville, uh, main evented by some pretty big names at light heavyweight and heavyweight, respectively. Let's take a break and get right back to these folks and tell them what's up. This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners. Knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors, I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right? Back to the MMA Geek Sealable Podcast. Nikolai and I will give you guys our predictions in a draft format as usual. Here's the thing. There's a card this Wednesday with 11 fights and another UFC card on Saturday also with 11 fights. We're probably not going to go through 22 fights in one episode. So we kind of decided to focus on some of the uh, biggest fights on the card, the more recognizable names, and the people that the listeners should give or take care about. And so we've chosen 14 of those 22 fights to kind of focus on. And those 14 fights will make up uh, our kind of roster to choose from for our draft picks. As everyone knows, the way it works is Nick and I 
take turns picking fighters on the card uh, between these two cards. And whoever ends up with the most number of winning fighters at the end of the week wins. If there's an odd number of fights, uh, the first picker gets to choose a tiebreaker, which is what I lost on last week. You had the first pick last time, so I'm going to take it this time. And uh, my first pick is going to be Sejara Eubanks over Sarah Barras. Damn it. You're damn motherfucking right. Uh, it's It was a uh, – look, she's the biggest favorite. And while I do think there are other fights that are pretty similarly kind of uh, weighted in one direction, both these girls have close to even uh, records. They're not exactly killers out there. Sarah Marice has been looking better lately, but against really kind of neophyte UFC competition, I think Eubanks will probably do well ground and padding from the top. And even though she's a shorter fighter here, I think she should be able to land some bombs on Sarah standing, even though Sarah has been working and getting better and better. Uh, I think it's a little too far in the odds, but I favor Eubanks. Yeah, I do too. Listen, Sajar Eubanks does not have a great fight IQ. What she is, though, is incredibly strong. She's very, very strong. Maurice has really one path to victory. And it's MMA math. You can call me on that. But the fact of the matter is Eubanks uh, fought uh, one of my favorite fighters, uh, Roxy Mataferi, twice and didn't get tapped, didn't get subbed. Uh, I don't. I just don't see Maurice being able to get an arm uh, that's as muscled and as strong as Eubanks. Oh, I thought you were talking about my arm for a second there. All right. What's your next pick, buddy? No, one arm, one of your arms is, seems to be, particularly the wrist, is a lot stronger than the other, but I haven't been able to deduce why that could be. Um, my first pick is, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Anthony Smith to defeat Glover Teixeira. I think uh, the odds on that are not as wide, I don't think. Uh, no, not, even, not nearly as wide. Um, but they're still, I think, the second biggest uh, gap on that, on that first card. And maybe maybe on both co- – yeah, it's pretty cl- – there's only a couple of other fights, and they're not ones that we're talking about, really. Um, but listen, Glover Teixeira is great. Uh, what he's not is explosive or fast. I mean, he's got good hands. He could land a hook or an uppercut. But Smith has proven himself to be quite durable. He's just taken on bigger challenges, and he's so – he's just so friggin' big and strong. Like, I think Smith has a number of paths to victory – Glover has one, and if he's going to do it, it's pr- if he's going to land that shot, it'll probably be because Smith makes a mistake, and I think he's kind of beyond making mistakes like that. I just think that Anthony Smith would – I actually think these odds are too close at minus, minus 175, plus 155, and that Anthony Smith um, is going to have yet another – like he'll have like his fourth coming out party moment. <laughs> Yeah, the thing about this matchup is I actually think Glover Teixeira can get top position, can get takedowns, do some damage, possibly work on submissions from the top. But, you know, I I think that would work better against some of the newer guys coming into the UFC who don't have great ground games. Smith has a pretty solid ground game. At the very least, he can survive Teixeira up top, I think. And it's not like eventually Teixeira... It's not easy to take down either, though, Stan. uh, He doesn't have the best... Uh, takedown defense to be honest with you he's been taken down by a lot of his last several opponents I actually looked into this uh, I think probably four of his last five opponents took him down at least once during those bouts granted they're overall high level competition but you know he can be taken down and Teixeira's going to try especially if he feels uncomfortable on the feet also Teixeira on the, on the, in the standing position he's not far below him either but he is getting older and Smith seems to look good late in fights he seems to have the cardio to outlast some of these more experienced uh, higher level fighters who are even beating him in the first couple of rounds. 
I think Smith should be able to at the very least take over late, so I agree with you on the pick, Nick. And this was in my top four picks, so not far off. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Claudia Gadelia over somebody who I actually personally have met several times. is a really good person and a great fighter, somebody I respect a lot, Angela Hill. Gadelia has the ground game that Angela Hill has had trouble with in the past. I know Gadelia is not exactly at the height of her game, and I actually see this as closer to a pick-up fight than the odds suggest, but um, I just think Gadelia's ground advantage is the biggest factor here in me picking her. Uh, I don't expect Gadelia to be on her back in this one early at least. I think Angela may show some cardio edge later in the fight if she can get there, but I, I think Claudia will be able to get takedowns, and she can explode with strikes when she needs to. She just can't stand with Angela for very long. Um, while I do see this as generally a pick I'm picking against my girl Angela. That was my number three pick also. So thank you. Thank you again for that. I really, you know, appreciate it. Anytime, Nick. Um, so uh, this next one, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go outside of, I think, my next pick because I don't trust it as much anymore. So I'm going to go to the other card where we and pick uh, Eric Anders to defeat uh, Christophe Jaco. I think that... I think Jaco's a much better mixed martial artist, but I feel like Anders is very, very strong and that Jaco sometimes wilts under that kind of athleticism and power. And he's, I don't I don't know that Anders is going to KO him, but I think he's going to have Jaco uh, extremely cautious and win, in, win an ugly decision. I just... Anders has been pretty darn durable and he's just been in with bigger... He's survived onslaughts from bigger hitters. So I just don't I don't see a real clear path here for Jaco. I disagree with the pick, but I do see that as largely a pick. Em. I gave the edge to Jotko, but I see the argument for Anders. Anders has some serious power, and Jotko's chin has not always looked great. The thing is that Jotko, who trains with the American Top Team, who by the way have been preparing a lot of fighters for these events since they're taking place in Florida. Um, They've got an active, active operation, and a lot of their guys did well this last week. I think that's going to be a factor as well, the fact that he's got a complete team behind him. On top of that, Jocko realizes he doesn't have a great chin, and he fights in a way that doesn't allow his opponents to get to his chin. He likes to now throw kicking uh, kicks from range. He's no longer kind of the pressure fighter with the boxing as he used to be. He now goes for takedowns every chance he gets against heavy strikers, even though Anders is going to be very tough to take down. I do think that kicking range will be a factor, and I also think that Anders is simply slow, and Jotko will have the speed advantage. So I do give the edge to Jotko, but uh, I don't see it by a big margin. I, I do hear where you're coming from, buddy. Um, my next pick, Nikolai, is going to be... I'm going to take Ovin St. Prue to beat Ben Rothwell. I <laughs> That was the la- that was the, my, the, the one I switched off of because I started to have doubts. Oh, really? No, I, I don't blame you for yeah. that at all. Um, he was actually not uh, – I do have somebody uh, ranked above that on my list, but for some reason I'm feeling this one at the moment more so than the other one. Ovin St. Prue is going to be a lot faster than Rothwell, and Rothwell coming back from a steroid suspension about a year, year and a half ago, he's slow as hell. He doesn't seem to hit nearly as hard as he used to. Uh, he ended up beating, um, who's the skyscraper, Nick? Stefan Struve. Stefan Struve. He ended up beating Stefan Struve um, because basically he 
kept low-blowing him, and Stefan Struve was so weak, weakened, even though Stefan was clearly in the lead. I just think Ovin St. Pierre is going to be about as tall. He's going to have speed. Uh, he's also going to have power in his shots, and he's going to have long-range kicks that Ben Rothwell probably won't be going to. But look, these both these guys are not very reliable, so anything's possible. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go to uh, the second main event of these two cards, and... <clears throat> I'm going to pick uh, Walt Harris over Alistair Overeem. Harris has obviously got the, you know, the fans on his side. He's got this, uh, you know, triumph over tragedy narrative, seeing as that his uh, really, really uh, sadly, um, his stepdaughter was murdered. I think probably most of our listeners will be aware of that. And this is his first fight back. Um, you know, you really got to like root for the guy. I also like to root for Alistair Overeem, but Overeem's been uh, very susceptible <clears throat> to getting you know getting caught by big strong athletic guys it's happened a bunch some fights he's able to hold it together for the full 15 or the full 25 minutes but i gotta i gotta believe that uh the harris one of those harris swarms is he's gonna land something a big elbow big kick and take out and take alistair down i just think harris is still getting better Overeem's been around forever, and this is just seems like a, one of those career momentum fights where an up-and-coming contender. Uh... Yeah, I disagree with this pick as well, so I'm glad you made it, especially this early. Um, I feel like Walt Harris is very explosive and very dangerous early on. To his credit, he trains an American top team, so that's that's, you know, on paper, again, it helps to have a serious running operation behind you. You're not training into your coach's, like, garage, you know, three times a week or something like that. It's a weird situation to have training partners and high-level coaches right now in a facility. It means a lot. And so I think that, again, goes to Harris's credit. But I feel like Overeem always runs with his own crew. He's up in Colorado with, uh, the last time I checked at least, with Justin Gaethje and the crew over there. So there was a running operation there as well. Overeem is going to be more experienced, right? He's going to be way better on the ground. The last time that Wal Harris was on the ground, he got submitted summarily by Fabrizio Verdum almost as soon as they hit the floor. Uh, And Overeem has a couple of wins over Verdum if only boring ones. But Overeem is also going to have the longevity. He's tempers himself he's just as dangerous in that third fourth round as he is in the first or second whereas Walt Harris has a big slowdown I watched this very last three rounder against Andre Arlovsky and to be honest with you that first round he clearly won he was landing big shots beautiful hook cross combos that second round he wasn't throwing quite as much that third round he was barely throwing at all and for that reason it turned out to be a really close decision against an aging Arlovsky so I do think that unless Walt Harris gets a first-round knockout, I think that Overeem has a good chance of uh, letting his veteranship come through if he can't get a finish on the ground, if he doesn't pull the trigger there. And I think him staying safe and distant for long enough as Walt Harris starts to tire will win him a decision. So I I disagree with you on that one as well, Nikolai. Maybe. I just want to say, like, Overeem has taken some ferocious injuries and and knockouts in the last couple of years. I just, I think, yeah, I think Harris is going to find him first, but you know, we can agree to disagree. Yeah, and and you know what, Overeem was going up against a higher level heavyweight in Rosenstrucka, a more overall uh, reliable heavyweight against higher level competition, including Overeem now, right? And Overeem was in control for the majority of those first four rounds. I didn't think he pulled the trigger on the floor, uh, but he was in control, and he was going to win that 
fight had the fight not been stopped or had he not taken that one right hand yep. from Rosenstruck at the end. So he can still certainly compete with the younger, uh, yes. more explosive guys. And when it comes to the kickboxing, when he has a huge ground advantage on you, I, I just feel like it you know, it gives him enough options to let his veteranship take over. My next pick, Nikolai, this is, I believe, my fourth one. I'm going to take uh, basically an even... Uh, an even fight. It's the uh, Alexander Hernandez versus Drew Dober matchup. I'm going to take Drew Dober. Yeah. That was my last pick. My very last. This is a fight I was going to take last. Really? Yeah. Were you also yeah. taking Drew? No. Yeah. I just feel like. I- but, it was, but, I wa- but I wasn't. Sh- I mean, I was very unsure, which is why it was going to be my last pick. See, I really think that COVID has a big factor on a lot of these matchups. And when there's a close matchup and I see that one guy hasn't been training in a long time and another guy has a running operation behind him, I'm going to give that a running operation a big edge. And and this is another guy that Drew Dober that has been Justin Gaethje's main training partner for the last while, right? Even leading up to Justin Gaethje first being booked against Tony Ferguson, they've been sparring regularly because Drew Dober had a fight coming up. So there's reason to believe that Drew Dober's in shape uh, Alexander Hernandez, I think, also had been training for a fight uh, that was supposed to take place this or last month. But Drew Dober is fast as all hell. He's had a very high-level training camp with guys like Kumara Usman running through there, guys like Justin Gaethje, as mentioned before. I expect that he's going to be prime here. He's a lot faster than he used to be. He lands with way more power and explosiveness. He now trains at elevation, which means we can rely on him to have a gas tank going forward. And I like him against Alexander Hernandez, who arguably lost both of his last two fights against Cerrone and also against, I believe, uh, Marais, the Brazilian, who definitely deserved that decision but got robbed uh, of it. And Hernandez might be coming in with a win here, but I don't think it's well-deserved. Dober's coming off a big knockout win, and I like Dober here for a a nice win. And quite frankly, I'll recommend a bet on him later on. Cool. Uh, My next pick I'm going to take, this is a tough one too. I'm going to take Edson Barbosa to defeat Dan Iga. Um, Again, a really, really close fight. I just think that this is, I mean, the Bectic fight, which was super close, um, and where I picked uh, Daniga to win um, was a step up in competition for him. And he's he's really terrific. Black belt in jiu-jitsu, trains at AKA, also a judo guy. But I think that his – I think he's the kind of guy where Edson's going to be able to keep him off of him uh, just enough through all his amazing striking, his leg kicks, his straight punches – and uh, do enough damage in in the first two rounds, as long as, and I, he has got a punch too. But um, Barbos has been, except for the super super heavy hitters, he hasn't been, uh, you know, eating eating massive shots from uh, guys like he did, you know, against Varner and stuff like that in quite a while. So I don't think I don't think Barbosa's chin is shot uh, exactly, but. I just I think Iga's one step is one is one step down from Barbosa. This is kind of a gatekeeper fight, and I think the gatekeeper is going to win. Yeah, I ended up agreeing with you on the actual pick. Although this was was one of my last three or four fights to pick here, um, I just I, I had a hard time really committing to one or the other. The reason I gave Edson the advantage is because he's another American Top Team guy. Um, he's going to be faster than Dan Ige. He's going to be more experienced standing. He has really good takedown defense against most non-pressure fighters. And Ige honestly has been developing a pressure game. So 
he has a shot here, and he's really been improving in a big way under Extreme Couture. Uh, Edson Barboza, though, is coming down to 145, so you can expect him to be in sick shape. This is actually his uh, featherweight debut. I expect Edson might have the edge here, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ige pressures him. To be fair, Edson only really loses to the elite guys, and Danny Gay hasn't shown himself to be quite there yet. So, uh, yeah, right. there's a reason that this is largely a pick em fight on the uh, on the betting side of things so it makes sense um my next pick nick i'm going to take marvin vittori to beat carl robertson at mm-hmm. 185 pounds i think carl robertson i mean this is really on paper an extremely close matchup honest to god minus 170 favorite for vittori is a little bit undeserved i think given what robertson has shown but i think marvin is shown that he's going to be there later in a fight i'm not sure who does he train with the american top team as well nick Vittori? Yeah. Or Robert, uh, I can't remember. The last I can recall, he does. And, oh, you know what? Rafael Cordero, that's right. He trains in California under Cordero, who also has had a running operation, who also had fighters uh, on last week's card. So, yeah, uh, I like I like him here to, to out-pressure Carl Robertson. Both of these guys are lefties, and Carl didn't look nearly as good uh, against lefties because he's not used to not being able to land on them. Whereas Marvin is fighting, I believe, uh, his his second or third lefty in the last couple of fights. So I think he's going to be used to fighting a fellow left-handed fighter. I think Marvin is going to be the stronger man here. Robertson is good from the top, and I could see him doing some damage with the ground and pound. If he can get there, Marvin is hard to take down. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Carl Robertson proves to just be a faster striker who can avoid takedowns and beat Marvin that way. But I've got Vittoria here. Yeah, I had the same. Uh, more or less for the same reasons. I mean, Robertson could land could land something. He's got sick power, but um, I mostly I favor Vittori. He seems like he's a he's a pretty durable guy. Um, this next my next pick is you're probably not going to agree with because you seem to have uh, you seem to favor one of these guys a lot. But I am going to pick uh, Ray Borg at 135 to defeat Ricky Simone. Uh, I think Simone's one of those guys who's not quite strategic enough. Doesn't I don't think he seems to f- fight to win. I feel I, that's that's come that came out wrong. He's um, he just doesn't seem like he's got the best like in octagon IQ to me. Um, he ends up in, he doesn't have boring fights. He's super exciting, but I think that Borg's gonna be on him uh, like a backpack and maybe a little bit quicker um, in the striking exchanges. Even though I think that Simone's a better striker. So I think I, I think I'm picking Borg to win this by decision. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you here. Borg is an underdog. Oh wow! Surprised. Yeah, he's yeah he is surprised. Surprised me that he's a dog, but yeah, man, uh, I found that to be a little bit odd. And I think like investing in him a little bit here would be bad. I just feel like Ray Borg is going to do well against a fellow grappler. Borg doesn't really if he doesn't feel comfortable standing, he's gonna he's gonna stay in that grappling range with you. He's gonna lock onto you no matter what it takes, keep you in the clinch, keep you halfway with one knee down, be on top of you. Uh usually wears down on these kind of younger guys. And Ray T. Simone is experienced, but lately he's been going on a little bit of a dry run, uh, coming up with a couple of losses where he was expected to win. So I also like Borg in this matchup, but it was one of my last two picks. The next pick is going to be Omar Morales to beat Gabriel Benitez. I think it's a pretty close one on paper. Morales has only had one UFC fight against uh, 
against the Korean fighter named Ma. And, you know, it was it was pretty one-sided. He roughed him up, and then I think he ended up finishing him in that third round, if I remember correctly. Benitez, he's really fast with that left kick. He trains at AKA, so it's pretty high level. Morales, I believe, trains at American Top Team. I may be wrong about that, but I believe that's where I, uh, that's where I knew him to train. Benitez trains at AKA. He's got a really fast left kick, a hard head kick. And Morales isn't a spring chicken. I think he's 34, 35 years old himself. So Benitez is, I believe, the younger man walking in here. Uh, but I like the guy who's undefeated, who's got all the confidence in the world over the guy that's just recently been knocked out. Morales has the kind of power where he can sting Benitez if his chin is compromised. Um, I agreed with that pitch, uh, uh, pick 100%. My next pick, another tricky one, I'm going to pick uh, Marlon Vera to uh, to beat Song Yadong. I've picked against Song Yadong before, and it's bit me in the ass. But I'm really just going on uh, quality, like quality of competition. I still feel like there's a bunch we don't know about Song Yadong, uh, the Chinese fighter, against really uh, premier competition. Whereas Vera has been in there to go three rounds with John Lineker. He's fought and beat and knocked out uh, Frankie Science. Um, he's he beat Brad Pickett a few years ago. Uh, he's just been he's just been in there with with. Uh, with better guys, Song Yadong still, um, you know, kind of, kind of an unknown. Um, he's had a couple of UFC fights, but against a couple of dudes without Wikipedia pages. So yeah, he's had some moments. Yes. He floored, uh, Alejandro Perez, but I'm, uh, I don't know. It could be one of the things where like, I'm like, man, I really missed the boat on this guy, but I just think there is no pushover, and there's still too much I don't I don't feel confident about with Song seeing him in there against um, the mid. Yeah, I hear you. I actually rewatched that Song Yudong fight against Cody Stamen, and I initially thought that Cody Stamen got screwed in that one, uh, and I was wrong. It seemed to me like the first round Song Yudong won, and he got docked that point for the knee to the head, so it was an even round. Second round, Song Yudong won again, in my opinion, although it was competitive. In that third round, clearly Cody Stamen was able to get top position and control from there. For that reason, I scored a draw. I thought it was very appropriate. Uh, in this matchup, I am not going to be too far down on Song Yudong. He's going to be really good in that first round. He's very likely going to win that first round. The second round is where the tide... Is probably going to shift, and that's where Marlon Vera's pressure and uh, reach advantage, I think, might might give him the edge. And I think that third round, Vera is going to be doing really well, uh, possibly being able to finish Song Yudong, depending on how frequently Yudong has been able to train lately and how much of a training camp he's really pulled in here. At least we know Marlon Vera, who trains with Carlos Barza and the crew there under uh, Colin Oyama. Uh, at least we know that he's got a team that's been active, whereas I'm not sure the Team Alpha Male has made an appearance yet between these two cards. So I expect Vera to be in better shape overall, and uh, and Song Yudong should, uh, should look good at the very least early. Two big fights left to pick, man. What do you got? Yes, sir. We've got the Chika Chikatse Mike Davis fight and the uh, Tiago Moises Michael Johnson fights. Um, I'm going to take the very, very unreliable very much on a losing streak. Michael Johnson. I can't believe you're going to do it. Oh, my God. Um, Better you than me. I know. Yeah, I'm taking Michael Johnson to beat Thiago Moises. Thiago's the younger guy. He is the, uh, you know, he's not coming off a bunch of losses, so he's got the momentum in his favor in this matchup at least. The thing is that Michael Johnson is going to be faster than Moises. He trains at a team that has been fairly active. Uh, we, we kind of see on the footage that, that they've been training. We've got guys like Gilbert Burns who's, 
taking a fight uh, a couple of weeks from now against Woodley. Uh, we know that he's been training because he expected that Woodley matchup. And somebody that's always in the training room with these guys is Michael Johnson. He's constantly in that gym. And I expect that was probably the case here. Tiago Moises comes out of America Top Team, which again, you know, having the running operations serious business nowadays with the COVID and everything. But Moises is not going to be faster here. He's He's not necessarily all that destructive with his offense. He's known as a jiu-jitsu guy, but a stand-up is probably his advantage. He's not awesome in the jiu-jitsu department. I don't think he's going to be dynamic enough anywhere to beat Michael Johnson. I think this is the kind of level where Johnson should have the edge, even though he's, again, uh, not looking good lately. Yeah, this was one I don't think I was fully decided because my instinct said Johnson, but no, I, neither one of us has ever really benefited from picking him. So no joke. I was... Uh, you know, I was a little bit stuck. But this next one isn't much easier to call. Um, you know, I really like uh, Giga Chikaze. I, like, uh, I liked him a lot in his last fight against Jamal Emmers. It was a very, very close fight. I think that, if I recall, I made decisions. Might A bunch of people might have given it to Emmers. Have to go check. And Mike Davis, you know, his, his losses... His losses have been to Gilbert Burns and Sodik uh, Yusuf. Those are, those are two beasts. Um, who are going to beat most, you know, we'll see how far those two guys are going to go. But Gilbert Burns is already on his way, uh, way up, right? And Sodik Yusuf has not, uh, yeah, he hasn't lost yet in the UFC. And he's taken on some, some, uh, some tough competition. So even as I say this, I'm still not entirely sure uh, who to pick in this fight. I feel like... Um, Davis has uh, has a lot more has maybe more power. Um, uh, Chikaze's got uh, perhaps better you know better technique. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Mike Davis to outmuscle uh, Chikaze, even though I'm more I guess a personal fan of Giga Chikaze. Yeah, I disagreed with you on this one, but by a close margin, man, it's really hard to kind of gauge. This is a very hard fight to call. Yeah, it really is. Um, I just got the impression that, well, the fact is that uh, Chikaze took his last UFC fight on a week or two's notice. He ended up winning that decision against, you know, a younger guy who had a fight scheduled for a little while, who's um, who's probably the much less powerful version of Mike Davis in a lot of ways. Mike Davis hits fucking hard. He's explosive. Uh, He's a dense thick muscled guy but i don't know that mike davis has been training very often although i feel like he's an american top team guy uh, at least some of the time i don't think he's been training very often just kind of looking at his social media so i ended up giving giga the taller much more experienced striker here at the edge i think giga should be able to avoid the takedowns in the first couple of rounds uh, and if mike davis is still fresh enough in that third round to get takedowns then maybe he deserves this decision but uh, i do like chica to keep it at kind of kicking range oh man should i should i change my pick and let you let you win for me two weeks in a row should I let you beat yourself? Oh, I hate it when you change your pick That's question. after I give you my explanation. That's the question. I dare you, Nick. Do it. <laughs> I dare no, you. I'm not, I'm not going to. No, there, there's, a, there's a reason that the uh, Simone Borg, Yunong, Vera, and Chikadze Mike Davis fights were like my bottom few. They were just really tough for me to pick. Very kind of small points of differentiation where, you, where it can kind of get well, you to lead the thing way you've done – your your approach to the picks today was different than mine either because I was I was just looking at records and fights and technique. I was not I haven't been thinking about COVID and training and teams. And you clearly went all fucking Inspector Clouseau on their oh, yeah. Instagrams. Oh yeah. Um. So I'm glad you've uh, I'm glad you got that kind of that kind of time. <laughs> Nick, it's really less about the time. It's more about the efficiency, and it's also about being yeah. smart and focusing on the right things. 
Which all right, we'll see what happens. And I can I, listen as a champion. I look down at where you're at now, and I understand your hunger. I really do. So and I respect that. I just want to remind you, you are two seven and one this season. I am seven I don't, two and one. I don't know why you keep. I don't. First of all, I'm a numerate. I don't understand mathematics. A at fighter's all. record matters. I just Nick. know a fighter's record. I only, and I've never heard of a two I, and seven champion. Have you? <laughs> I only know. I only know about winning, and. Coming off of this past weekend, I'm living in a, a world um, of winners, and that's all that matters. Um, so, if there's anything I can, if I can do, for example, as far as I know, you're healthy. But if you were to call the Make a Wish Foundation and you wanted to hang out with me, I would probably say yes. I appreciate you saying that, Nick. But um, I would want to hang out with you, and I don't think I have to make a wish for it. I, I just pay the usual hundred. <laughs> Speaking of 100, Nick, you owe me a dinner, and uh, I think any month now, any month now, we'll be allowed to go to restaurants. Don't you think I forgot? Uh, do I owe you a dinner? You do owe me a dinner. DoorDash. What, what, uh, oh, we're going to have dinner um, together, my friend, with drinks. Okay. I'm going to order a 16 or 18-year-old scotch. It'll be fantastic. I'm going to have one of those right now. All right, let's talk. Let's take a little break, and then we'll uh, Stan will tell you how he's going to spend uh, his daughter's college fund. Let's do it. She actually <laughs> legitimately she is under one year old, and she actually has a college fund. Let's take a break and come back. Back on the MMA Geek Seal Level Podcast for the MMA Geeks Betting Guide. Nick, I did uh, pretty well last week, UFC 249. I ended up uh, profiting $150, 38% return on investment. My Bryce Mitchell bet of $100 bucks came through. Cejudo, uh, $150 on him came through. Pettis, I put $60 bucks on him to $144. Hardy by decision, $20 bucks to $146. Um, I lost uh, 20 bucks on Gaethje because I picked him by knockout in the first couple of rounds. And uh, my parlay of Cejudo and Verdum did not come through. So the profit is only 150 but 150 is pretty good if you ask me. This week, Nick, for this card, I have some better recommendations. I'm deciding, I don't know if you guys have noticed, there's a bit of a shift for me from uh, the prop bets and the parlays that are just putting another factor on top of who's going to win. And I'm always trying to get good odds. Instead, I think I'm just going to go with my picks and, and see where the opportunities lie, make some straight bets. And it's all straight bets on this one. Ovin St. Pru at minus 140, 36 bucks to win $50. Um, I think, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. It's $50 to win $36. Um, I, I just feel like uh, St. Peru at, at those kind of odds is a good deal against Rothwell, who's been looking horrible and slow and ineffective. Drew Dober at minus, one, four, minus 120, 60 bucks on him to win 50 all day. He's been looking really good lately and trains with a high-level camp that has been uh, having a few fighters go through the grinder lately. Ray Borg at plus 150, I will take that, $33 to win $50. Overeem at plus 140 against a younger, less experienced opponent. 36 bucks to win 50. I like him at plus money all day. Marlon Vera, plus 158. $32 to win 51 on that matchup against Song Yudong, who's dangerous, and it's a close one on paper, but I like Vera at plus money. 
Giga, and especially Vera, who's a, who's known for his cardio, and Song Yidong gets tired even when he has a training camp lead in a fight. Um, Giga Chigadze plus one eighty in a matchup against mostly a striker. Um, I think that's definitely worth twenty eight bucks to win fifty. So overall, putting a couple hundred bucks on the line only this time, but I'm expecting some good winnings. Nick, you got uh, you got anything on the way out? What is this Conor McGregor Justin Gaethje Twitter war you mentioned earlier? Yeah, no, no picks for me. Um, I guess that after saying, I think Connor wrote complimentary things about the fight on Fight Night, right as it was ending. Um, as did Khabib, who wrote some, you know, wrote some really complimentary stuff to both guys and then to Tony specifically. But I guess Justin had talked a lot of smack about Connor last year, so Connor, uh, you know, came out straight fire saying he was gonna uh, that. Uh, Say, you know, acknowledging the fact that Justin had called him a bad father and saying he was going to knock out all his teeth and make a necklace, yada, yada. Typical, typical Conor McGregor bravado, but, um, you know, pending another, another in- injury to Khabib, who Conor referred to as a bottle fighter. I don't know what that means. Does that mean that he thinks Khabib is on, on, uh, P- on peds? or what? I, I, th- um, I think bottle meaning like you could break like a glass bottle, maybe? I'm not sure. I don't know, um, but uh, he seems to think that Khabib isn't going to be there to to defend um, the title. But I think Con- Connor has before he can be fighting uh, guys at this level, he's got to do more than than not than knock out an over the hill Donald Cerrone. He just does. If he takes if he if he beats a contemporary uh, Poirier who got who's who's much much improved since his first fight against Connor. Um, if he takes out a rebounding Tony Ferguson, um, what other killers do we have there at, at 155? Yeah, 155. We've got a rather stacked division, Nick. We have and I, Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje, Dan Hooker, Donald Cerrone, Paul Felder, Charles Oliveira, Ally Quinta, and Kevin Lee rounding up the top 10 before the champion could be. Yeah, I mean... Okay, so yeah, Connor's got to fight Poirier or Ferguson. Um, maybe Hooker. Hooker would give him could potentially give him a run with that with that length. Um, De Bronx could be interesting, but I think he's got so much power for De Bronx. Before Connor gets near Gagey, he's got to beat Poirier or Ferguson. That's just the way it is. Yeah. If he wants, if he wants to go to one seventy and fight Masvidal, that would that would earn him. A significant amount of credibility. I agree. Uh, I, th- I think that would also be the biggest money fight for just about anybody. I think the Connor or the Mazzalov fight is a big money fight for anyone, and putting those two guys together, I think, will make some noise in the mainstream media and attract some attention, especially if they fight if during Connor, this whole COVID yes. thing. If, if Connor wants to go beat Maz, if Connor beats Masvidal, which I'm not sure, I think he would do. By the way, not at all. Um, but if Connor beats Masvidal and then wants to jump over Poirier or Ferguson for a shot at the winner of Khabib and Gagey. Um Assuming there's no Khabib and Gagey rematch, then, uh, yeah, that's fine with me. But you don't get to, you know, you don't get to fight Paul Felder and then go and then, you know, fight Justin Gagey. Yeah. That's no knock on Paul. F- it's no knock on Paul Felder, but there's a there's a difference between the guys between five and ten and the guys between one and five yeah I agree I heard that um yeah it's it's a 
Look, I would love a matchup between Gaethje and Connor. I think given, I think Gaethje probably leveled up his star by a good margin at the end of this one. I think all that Gaethje needed to do to secure that fight was to talk some real shit to Connor on the mic at the end of the fight. But, you know, he's not really the type to do that in that kind of medium. But I do think that would make for maximum interest, uh, especially given the kind of platform that he was on with no other sports on for literally months now. So a lot of eyes tuning in. I've had I've had clients and friends who told me they were buying the pay-per-view who never buy pay-per-views, Nick. Uh, and, and by the way, they had no idea who was fighting. They just, like, they were excited about a sports event. So I, I, think, I think this is going to do well uh, as far as the ESPN pay-per-view goes. Uh, I do want to quickly say, I see this quote from Daniel Cormier, that if Stipe Miocic uh, isn't, going to, isn't going to fight me, then it's going to be me against Francis Ngannou for the title. I think that is bonkers. There's not a chance in hell that he will end up fighting Francis Ngannou. He's no fool. Uh, we'll see. I hope not. I just want to put in something else about Justin Gagey and maybe just about uh, MMA in general. Yeah. And I watched this fight. World Series of Fighting Eleven. Justin Gagey was already had a reputation as a uh, as a killer um, with serious. He was the he was the champion. He had serious power. An athletic commission let a guy who hits that hard fight Nick Newell, a congenital amputee below the elbow. So a guy with essentially one one arm got in a cage and and dealt with Justin Gagey. And mind you, you know to show how to- how tough and talented Nick Newell is, he went around he went around and a half. Um, wait, 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 wait. Just for the record, Nick Newell is fighting in the same division as everybody else's, as everybody with arms. Nick Newell has a serious disadvantage in the fact that forearm yeah. down on his, uh, I don't know if it's his right or left arm. I think it's his right arm. Uh, you know, he has just kind of like a couple of mini fingers, if you will. And the thing is that he also has an advantage where he has a pretty special grip with that thing that allowed him to pick up a lot of the wins in his career. Also, going into that matchup, the odds were not very far apart. Nick Newell was undefeated, and so was Justin at the time. Both guys were running through competition at World very Series. Different, of co- very different competition, though. Gagey had fought, had, had fought, uh, um, oh my God, what's this guy's nickname used to be? Holy shit, what did they fought? Cavalcante. He, they, everyone used to call him something. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which Cavalcante you're referring to, but I'm looking at um, his. Jesus, Jesus Cavalcante was oh, known. Oh, yeah, as... but but that was that was Cavalcante like six or seven years after his prime, where Cavalcante I think was already kind of on a on the losing streak kind of portion of his career. The guy wasn't he wasn't championship material by then, man. Right, that's true. It, it was a fraction. Well, here- a fraction of of uh, the Cavalcante that was doing really well back in I think the pride of the dream days. Uh, and you know the level of competition there wasn't nearly as high. Calvin Conti was, what was actually his, uh, what was his nickname? Why am I going crazy? Uh, his nickname Jay Z. He was known by Jay Z. Thank you, yeah. Jesus. Uh, oh, because his first name is Jessius. Yeah, Jay Z was the short. Uh, he's still a mainstay at uh, Hard Knocks 365 with those guys there under Henry Huff, um, regular training partner and coach for those guys. But yeah, I mean, like due respect, like that wasn't. That wasn't the win that it would have been several years before that. Outside of that, he beat Brian Cobb, Dan Lazan, somebody named Richard Pettenschnock. Uh, whereas Nick Newell at the time was, you know, had a really good record. Oh, Nick, Nick Newell's great. He wasn't. I mean, he wasn't fighting. I don't think. Still don't think he was fighting guys at that level. But I'm just like Nick, Nick Newell. I, mean, I Nick Newell's uh, opponents leading up to that fight. His last five opponents up until then were eight and three, nine and one, sixteen and five, six and three, and five and one. He went to decision in only one of those fights. So, like, the guy was legit. He was, he 
wasn't like he didn't ask to be looked at as a guy who's a general entertainer. Of course not. He's a tough as hell guy. I'm just saying that for a sport like this to go in there against Justin Gaethje or anybody, like look at the records of his other opponents. Like he's yeah. a really good guy. So. Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw those fights, and those aren't guys. You-